And we ask our Lord, most high, to send copious internal blessings and salutations upon our beloved Prophet Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Amma ba'd. And we acknowledge the traditional learners of the land in which we learn and teach, and we pay our respects to their elders past and present. So if we continue, inshallah, in the second half of the seventh intention, which is on page 54 in the Book of Intentions, the yellow book, and then, what, 48 or something on the PDF? 48 on the PDF. So, we'll read through it, inshallah. It says, وَعَنْ أَبِي أُمَامَةَ يَقُولُ سَمِعْتُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى قَالَ الْمَعَلِفْ رَحِمُهُ اللَّهِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ نَفَعْنَا بِهِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ وَعَنْكُمْ نَفَعْنَا بِهِ وَبِكُمْ وَعَنْ أَبِي أُمَامَةَ يَقُولُ سَمِعْتُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ وَلَيْهُ وَلَيْهُ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ يَقُولُ عَلَى الْمِنْبَرِ جَنِّبُوا مَسَاجِدَكُمْ السُّبْيَانَ وَمَجَانِنَكُمْ وَخُصُمَاتَكُمْ وَرَفْعُوا أَصْوَاتَكُمْ وَصَلَّى وَنَهَى رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ وَسَلَّمَ عَنْ إِنْشَادِ الضَّالَّةِ فِي الْمَسْجِدِ وَقَوْلُهُ الشِّعْرِ فِيهِ وَأَمَرَ بِأَنْ يُرَدَّ عَلَى مُنْشِدِ الضَّالَّةِ لَا رَدَّ اللَّهُ ضَالَّتَكَ وَعَلَى قَائِلِ الشِّعْرِ فَضَّ اللَّهُ فَاكَ وَأَتَى عِيسَى بْنُ مَرْيَمَ عَلَى قَوْمٍ يَتَبَايَعُونَ فِي الْمَسْجِدِ فَجَعَلَ رِدَاءَهُ لِنَا ثُمَّ جَعَلَ يَسْعَى عَلَيْهِمْ ضَرْبًا وَهُوَ يَقُولُ يَا أَبْنَاءَ الْأَفَاعِ اتَّخَذْتُمْ مَسَاجِدَ اللَّهِ أَسْوَاقًا هِيَا سُقُ الْآخِرَةِ So he says, then beginning of the fourth line down on 54, May Allah be pleased with you and pleased with the author, may Allah um, be benefit us from the author and also from yourselves. I heard the Prophet say, whilst he was on the pulpit, safeguard your mosques from children. So the footnote is from making noise and distracting worshippers. From those who are of unsound mind, from so the mental illnesses, from your quarrels, from raising your voices and from the unsheathing of your swords and from administering, administering punishments in gatherings. The Prophet also forbade inquiring about lost property in the mosque and reciting poetry. He commanded us to say, May Allah not restore it to you to the person who seeks lost property in a masjid and to say to the person reciting poetry, you have not spoken well. Jesus, the son of Mary, came upon people selling in the mosque or the masjid and said to them, You children of snakes, you have taken the houses of Allah as marketplaces when they are marketplaces of the hereafter. So if we look at the first part of it, he said, that safeguard your mosques from children. So in other words, the, the, the masjid, the house of Allah, is a solemn place. It's, it's not a place of excessive noise, of excessive movement, particularly when the time of prayers occurs. So safeguard them from the children, particularly that means at the time of prayers, because as we know, they're unruly sometimes. They see a large space. They can't control themselves. They run around. If they're not potty trained properly, they may def, you know, urinate or whatever, um, un soil the masjid and make it a place of, that's unclean, that people won't be able to pray in after that. And from those who have unsound minds, so the majanin, people of, who can't control themselves because they've got some sort of a mental health issue. and It doesn't mean every child, it doesn't mean every person who's of unsound mind, 
It means those who, whose presence of the children and people of unsound mind will cause um, disruption and, and distract the people doing whatever they're doing and they're particularly praying. And from your quarrels, of course, because loud voices, what? It distracts people, it disturbs people. Quarrels, and we know about the little qadr, that two people were quarreling and Allah took it away from us. From raising your voices in any way, shape or form. And unfortunately, you see that in the masjid, everyone's the boss of the masjid chief. You've got 555 chiefs and no Indians. From unsheathing of your swords, like we mentioned last week, people punching on and carrying on. It happens all the time, unfortunately. Carrying on in the masjid, you know, or in, that, in this unsheathing of swords would be like shootings in the masjid. And that happens overseas. How many masjids have been bombed in the last 19, 18 years? They get bombed more than anyone from ISIS and these people. And from administrating punishments in gatherings. So that's inside the hudud, inside the masjid, like the amputations and whatever else that goes on. Um, in terms of the punishments that shouldn't happen in the masjid. Prophet of Allah also forbade inquiring about lost property in the mosque. Right? So that's someone who's, like we said, I think we mentioned this last week, didn't we? Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah. So someone's lost their bo peep, she's lost her sheep, and so she comes to the masjid and she yells, you know, has anyone seen my sheep? Has anyone seen my sheep? Has anyone seen my sheep? Because they know that that's when the majority of people will be gathered, is at the masjid on Jummah, and, and particularly in the towns, that they know all the townsfolk will show up. And the Prophet, and the rest of it goes that if someone does that, the Prophet ordered us to say to that person, may Allah not restore it to you. So hopefully you never find it. Right? Never, she never finds it. She, did she find him at the end of that nursery rhyme? I can't remember. You don't remember, huh? She found him. She was happy, happily ever after. <laughs> Alright? And then, the reciting of poetry. Okay? So the reciting of poetry in the masjid, it's not a place of poetry. It's a place of things that have to do with deen. Except if it's a poetry, the scholars, so I think it's mentioned to you. So, so, no. Yep, so 29. Al-Habib uh, Ahmed bin Zain al-Habashi in, in Fawa'id al-Muhimma, he says, it is disliked to recite poetry in the mosque if it does not contain any encouragement towards good, like praising the Prophet of Allah and Islam and calling to zuhud, which is ascetism. The Prophet ﷺ erected a pulpit in his mosque for Hassan or Hassan ibn Thabit or Hassan bin Thabit to stand and recite poetry on praising the Prophet. And he used to say, May Allah support Hassan with Ruhul Qudus Jibreel. This is one of my favorite stories actually. Um, uh, Sayyidina Umar Allah Mardana, when he was Khalifa, he saw Sayyidina Hassan ibn Thabit and he was and he was reciting poetry in the masjid. And he knows there's a prohibition against it. And he came, he was gonna, you know, Sayyidina Umar is tough, you know. He's gonna he's gonna belt him and administer some some punishment to him. And he said, hey, hey, what do you mean? The Prophet made this pulpit for me. He said, What do you mean the Prophet made this pulpit for you? And I think he called Saddam of your class. He called one of the other senior Sahaba and he said, Yeah, I was there when the Prophet gave me the pulpit. And he said, Umar was surprised, how come? And then someone else told the story. They said that when the Prophet made Hijrah from Mecca to Medina, the poets, because they were like the journalists or whatever, or the influencers or whatever you want to call them, of the time, in the time of the Arabians, in the time of the Prophet in the Arabian Peninsula, they started saying bad stuff about the Prophet of Allah, you know, about his nasib, about his forefathers, and about all these different things. And so the Prophet said, isn't anyone going to defend me against these people? That means jawaz, it's jaiz for someone to defend themselves against um, defamation and libel and all these types of things. And so Hassan ibn Thabit, he was known, right? He was known, he was a great orator. So he got his tongue, put it on his nose, and he said, I will, Ya Rasulullah, I'll defend you. I'll defend you. And then he said, 
He said, how are you going to defend me when you're an, you're an Ansari, you're from Al-Madinah, and I'm from Mecca, and my Nasib and the people that are, that are, that are making shatan, that are, that are being, um, that are defaming me, they're from, they're from Mecca. So he got Sayyidina Abu Bakr, Allah, to teach him about who's who and who's what in, in, in Mecca, and then he hit back the Prophet, that's that's you might call media, right? You might... <laughs> yeah, similar, but not as not as coarse and as crass and as inane. Yeah. But yeah, so something like that. But it's it's the media of the time was the poets. They used to tell people what was going on, who was good, who was honourable, who was dishonourable. So that also talks about the jawaz, <coughs> the, the permissibility. Not even the permissibility. If the prophet said do it, that's a, that's a sunnah to do that. It's a sunnah to for us to you know. It's like we said, public relations. That's what. That's what that's what we, that's what Dawah is public relations, but without the lies and advertising without the lies. It's the truth. We're presenting our faith in the best and who we are and the Prophet and Allah in the best possible way, so people can relate to it. Okay. So that, and, and he says, the person who speaks poetry, you have not spoken well. So Isa alayhi salam, the son of Mary, he says, and and that, it's mentioned that way. He, she's the only woman that's mentioned by name in the Quran. Sayyidatna Maryam. And there's a whole there's a whole chapter on her because it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showing humankind that if he's got a mother, how can he be a god? Because it's impossible. If someone's been begotten or birthed, how can they be a god? They're, they're pre-birth. There's no birth. They're pre-existence. So that's why Sayyidatna Maryam, Mary, that's her, why her name is mentioned in the Quran over and over. And that's why the scholars, they always say Isa ibn Maryam. They always, they always say Isa ibn Maryam. Jesus, son of Mary, to reiterate what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an. It says, came upon people, and, and the reason why women aren't mentioned in the Qur'an is that's the, that's the adib, that's the, the, um, the etiquette that Allah Azawajal uses with women. It's not because they're second-class citizens, or it's not because they're not equal, or it's not because of the, that thing, but it's out of respect, actually. It's out of respect that her person is herself, her sexuality is her own sexuality. And women, no doubt, are the gatekeepers of sexuality in any society. Once they lose the lock of that gate, then they become pawns in their own game. You know, like the sister was talking about the other day how she's going to get married and she's got to get fake eyelashes and all this stuff, you know, like, oh, cool, nice. All right, you want to doll yourself up, it's all good. But when there's an expectation that you need to doll yourself up just to be accepted or the plastic surgery or the Botox or all the myriad of different you know, procedures that like 20-year-old women that we were talking about the other time, you know, that they're having, why should there be that expectation? It's the same for blokes. If they're not muscular and have six-packs and pecs and whatever, then they don't feel like they're, you know, they're a real man. So that's why that's Allah Azawajal only mentions Sayyidina Mary's name in, in, in the Qur'an and no one else's. Other one is Imra'ah, 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 Zawjit, Zawjit, you know, that's a different time. And there's a, there's a, there's a look at this, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when, when he mentions Imra'at, Imra'at Nuh, right, he doesn't say Zawjat Nuh. He says Imra'at Nuh. Why? Because she's just a woman. She's not really a, a wife because she disses him. Right? So when, when, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about a, a righteous woman, he uses the word wife. When he's talking about a other than righteous, he uses the word Imra'at woman. Just a woman. Just a woman. But she's the wife. She's different. She's got a special elevated role and elevated status. He says, when he saw him, and I mean, you've heard this story, isn't it? The guy is selling in the, what's the Christian adaption of that? What were they doing? They were selling in the, uh, I remember it back in school, in the temple. Is that what they were doing? 
and they, the usurers, weren't they usurers? The Pharisees? That's the, that's the story, right? So he, he came and he said, you children of snakes, you have taken the houses of Allah's marketplace when they are the marketplace of the hereafter. Right, like we said last week. Every, you can go and buy and sell anywhere. These days, you can, you know, it's on your phone. You don't even have to worry about it. You don't even have to have a physical place. A lot of people, they're, they're the middlemen, or the, you know, they call them middlemen. They, they never actually have any product. They buy it, for example, you go on, on the internet, you buy something, they purchase it from the, the wholesaler or from the manufacturer, and they deliver it to the, to the, to the customer. And they never actually touch anything, they have no warehouses, no nothing. They just put a markup on it for that, that service they provide. So the whole world is, can be a marketplace. And then he goes on, he says, وَقَالَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ إنما بنيت هذه المساجد لذكر الله فإذا ذكرتم تجارتكم وتنياكم فأخرجوا إلى البقيع. So if we continue there, he says, the Prophet صلى الله عليه وآله وصحبه وسلم said, no one has taqwa in these mosques except those whom Allah is content with, and whomsoever Allah is content with, the garden is his. There will come a time when people will turn away from their mosques. They will have no desire except for the mentioning of this world. When that time comes, do not sit with them because Allah has no need of them. Umar ibn Khattab, Allah anhu, heard people mentioning their merchandise in the mosque and said, these mosques were built for the remembrance of Allah. So when you remember your trade and your world, go to Al-Baqiyah. So that's kind of what we were saying and that what we're discussing about the scholars and the organizations and whatever else it might be and what's happened to them. In other words, one is not conscious of their responsibility or their duties towards the house of Allah. Because when you go to somebody's house, you know, if, if you put your feet up and don't you know, take off your shoes, are you respecting or disrespecting that person? Disrespecting. So when you go to the house of Allah, if we disrespect the house of Allah, who are we disrespecting? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we know the story of Ali Zayn al-Abidin, you know, um, maybe I'll tell a little bit further into the hadith. He says that there are people who don't, they don't, they don't, they're not cautious of the limits of the message of Allah, except the person whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with, right? And whoever Allah is pleased with, that person's got Jannah. Then he says, وَسَيَأْتِي that there'll come a time There will come a time when people will turn away from their, mos- their mosques. And, and in Arabic, it's a bit different. It says, zamanun So it's a bit different. In the English, the connotation is that they'll turn away from their mos- mosques and they will have no desire except for mentioning this world. So this in the Arabic says that, وَمَسَاجِدُهُمْ لَيْسَتْ لَهُمْ هِمَّةٌ إِلَّا ذِكْرَ الدُّنْيَا So the connotation is the only himma. The only concern they'll have in their masajid is what? The remembrance of this world. That's the connotation in Arabic. It could be taken both ways, but 
Allahu alim, I think that the second the, the way that the dunya the dunya becomes what people go to do in the masjid. And look, let me give you an example. You think, wait, no, that's not the case. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a simple, simple example. And if that's the case, don't go and sit in those gatherings. I'll tell you, the guy goes to the masjid to see his buddy. Ah, how are you, Habib? What do you mean, man? Did you go to worship Allah or not? Starting a hadith after this, this and that. Um, outside, people are praying. What do you mean? That person go if he went to see Allah and he had in his mind to see Allah or her, but we're talking about the dudes, the brothers. If he had in his mind to see Allah and he saw so and so, you tell me, you tell me. You've got an appointment with, with, with your brother, right? And you're walking and you see your best friend and you're running late to that appointment. What do you say to your best friend? You tell me, I'm not going to tell you. Or sister, what do you say? I gotta go. Love to. Hey, love you, bro. You're my best boy. Whatever. What's up, homeboy? Whatever you say to the bloke. And then what? I don't say that no more. It's over. <laughs> Whatever. Right? And then you go see your brother. So imagine a person, they're really going to see Allah. They're going to the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to spend time with Allah. And they see whoever they see. What are they going to say to that person? Hey, after, later, I'll call you. I'll call you. I'll. I'll message you. What do you say to people? What do you guys say to What do you say to people? I'll DM you. I'll DM you <laughs> right. So I'll DM. What's DM? Direct message. Direct message. So I'll DM you later. Right? Isn't that what you say? Mahak? Yeah, you're too busy. Too busy. So that's the first example. They're not really going to the masjid to see Allah. They're not going to remember Allah. They're going for other reasons. They're going for other. Even if they stay, say, oh, yeah, brother, bro, I've got to go. I've got things to do. Everyone would do that. When someone's got an intention to do something, when someone's got a re resolve to do something, they do it. Yeah? It's without all the other stuff we we're talking about. And that's what the masajid has become. And we know the masajid, the mega mosques, you know, they're owned by individuals. And if, you're not, if you don't kiss the ring of that individual, don't worry about going to that mosque. Right? If you don't pander up to the person and whatever and suck up to them and praise them and you know, they're not, they're not going to, you're never going to do anything in that mosque. That mosque is only going to be used at the whims of that individual. Okay, what's that? Dhikrud dunya. Hey, I've got the biggest mosque in Australia. My mosque has got this. My mosque does that. My mosque has got the best calligraphy in the world. My mosque, we got this artist to do it. We raise the money this way. What's that? What's that? What's that remembrance of what? The dunya. That's what the remembrance is. The remembrance of the dunya. All the organizations, they're suing each other. Who's going to be president? Who's not going to be president? Whatever, 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 whatever. Well, remembrance of what? The dunya. Yeah? So, that, don't, don't worry about that. Allah, don't be in those assemblies. Because Allah doesn't need those assemblies. Allah doesn't want those assemblies. That is not a masjid, bunya ala taqwa Allah. That's not a masjid that was made for the taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Unfortunately, misfortunately. So that's why our creativeness has to change in the times we live in. You know, in the times, the, the, the fit and the politics that we mentioned, you know, Safin and Jamil, when Sayyidina Umar and Sayyidina Uthman and Sayyidina Ali and Hassan, when they got killed, you know, the Sahaba didn't even go to Jum'ah. I know you're going to freak out. They didn't even go to Jum'ah because the fitna was so bad. They didn't even go to Jum'ah. Didn't even go to Jum'ah. I'm not saying do that. Go to Jummah. 
and go home. But th the point is that, look, if it's not, if there's not, if you're not going to go, if you're not, if you're going to go to the house of Allah, you're not going to get closer to Allah. You're not going to be able to remember Allah. What's the point? The whole world is the is the message of Allah. And if the people, more specifically, in there, the assembly is, and you know, and the money's not halal, and they got it from the gangsters that made toba and whatever. Look, that's that's what I hear. That's what I keep hearing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. What? I'm going to go buy halal meat with stolen money. Doesn't make a halal. It's haram. That's it. So, you know, we have to be aware of these things. That's, that's, what, the, that's what the injunction is. Because our intention to go to the house of Allah is to remember Allah. And if you're a person that can go there and, and move between the cracks and go pray, remember Allah, no one says anything to you, you don't say, hey, go. Go. Don't stop going. But if your remembrance of Allah is going to be stopped, right, by going to those places, then better to remember Allah than to go to those places and remember the dunya, if that makes sense to you. That's what the injunction is. Alright? And so, if the organizations, if these things are being used for siyasa, which is the ultimate dunya, because what, what's dunya? What's, what do we define dunya is many, many months ago and moons ago? We said it's... It's ziyada, it's done it, yep, it's low, it's close, and it's ziyada. And what do we say the ultimate dunya is? Entitlement. Whoever feels itself entitled, first world people in particular, I suppose, that's the ultimate dunya. So when you go to the masjid and those stakeholders are around, what do they what do they act? How do they act? Entitled. Don't close the window. I'm doing this, what are you doing? Blah blah blah, this and that, my bar of shul. Exactly like it's their house. Like one time we went, we did a molid, and then they wanted to do a molid. You know, the more senior scholars than I was there, they came to talk to me. I don't know why they came to talk to me. They're like, "Oh, you can do the molid, but you can't stand during the molid." I'm like, "Who are you?" He's like, "Oh, I'm the director, or whatever." I said, "Direct? Don't direct me. Direct the building. You don't direct me. I'm a scholar. Scholars, we direct you." He's like, "But, but," I said, "Bro." Go see if the toilet paper needs refreshing. <laughs> That's your job. That's your job. Why are you trying to trample on my toes? I'm not telling you go do and build and, and paint and don't paint and do or don't do. Know where your job is. Know what you're supposed to do. Don't don't tell me what I'm supposed to do. Don't tell me about, you know, teach me about something that's got that's none of your business anyway. If you don't like it, take it up with the senior scholars. This is what I told him. I said, take it up with the more I'm I'm junior. Go take it up with the senior guys if you're not happy with that. But really, you're not you're not qualified to talk about that. And if that's your opinion that you don't want to stand up, don't stand up. No one forcing you to stand up. But don't inquire. Don't um, uh, condemn another for something they're doing where there's there's two different or s several different opinions in 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 that regard. So if you're going to the mosque, it's going to cause trouble. It's going to make things difficult for you. But then don't go. But if you're going to the mosque and get you closer to Allah, you know, this, this, this and that, then and, and you can continue to worship Allah without being embroiled in that whole siyasa of what's going on in the masjid, then the whole politics, in other words, of what's going on in the masjid, then go. And it's not an excuse not to go. That's not an excuse. It's only an excuse if you're going to go there and be, and be embroiled and, and drug into whatever's going on. So the last part of it is, is uh, Sayyidina Umar Allah Mardanhu, where he says to them, He's heard people mentioning their merchandise in the masjid and he said, these masjid were built for the remembrance of Allah. So remember your trade 
and your world go to where? Go to the graveyard. Is that the only thing you can think of? And and you, and you just, subhanAllah, we just, I just went to the nursing home now and saw the people in the nursing this Gallipoli one, mashallah. That reminds you that life's short. Life's short. The lady we saw, mashallah, she goes, I've never, get, I've never been to the doctor in my whole life. Now she's in respite care. Allah give her fair, inshallah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then the, the brother I was with, goes, man, we should come here all the time. I said, of course we should. And that's what we don't do. Like when I was in the States, you know, I used to hang around with the football players and the cowboys, the bull riders. And so, the, you know, have you ever seen bull riding at the rodeo? It's pretty like, if it, it's the most dangerous sport and they're the toughest guys I've ever seen of all sports I've ever seen. They're crazy. The guys are like 60 kilos. They get on a, you know, 900 kilo bull. It's heads like that. And it's got massive horns and it tries to buck them off. And when it bucks them off, it tries to like, you know, gore them with its horns. This is what these guys do. Have, look, go to YouTube and have a look. Look up PBR, Professional Bull Riders Association. You know, the worst stacks, worst hits, whatever it is. It's scary. It's scary. Those guys, if someone of their bull riding friends got maimed, they'd never go to the hospital. Football players as well, the American football players, they're all big, beefy dudes and whatever. Not all of them, but 99%. If their mates got broken, you know, this, or mainly they had knee reconstructions or shoulder issues, they'll never go to the hospital to visit them. Why? They don't want to see that part of the world. They don't want to see that they're mortal. They don't want to see that they're invincible rather than invincible. They don't want to see that. that that's part of the psyche of being superior in their sport. And because they believe, and I saw it many, many times, what happens is the cowboys, the bull riders, they draw which, which bull they're going to ride. And so one of them, I saw how many times it happened. One of them was like, I hope I don't get that bull because they're scared of it. And guess what happens? That's the bull they draw. It's just lots. It's just lots. So they believe there's a certain energy karma around it. So they don't want to they don't want to bring any bad energy, you know, into their thing. So that they don't do that. We're the opposite. We're not people of this dunya. We're people of the akhirah. So, you know, we should be visiting the Baqi is the graveyard in Medina next to the Prophet's mosque, Ali Satu Salam. It used to be a lot better than what it is now. It used to have the Qubab and you can tell where Sayyidina Uthman was and Sayyidina Fatima. Now it's just a disaster. Like All you can see there's pigeons really when I was there. It's disgraceful. Anyway, that's what's happened there now. But the remembrance of death Remember the destroyer of desires. That's death. Because death in reality, I know we're Western, we probably haven't thought about death. The Prophet used to think about death more than 27 times a day. Because that's the reality. Not that we're morbid people. No, no, we're not. We live life, we laugh, we enjoy, we get married, we have children, we buy cars, we build houses, we eat food, we enjoy our food. It's sometimes wajib for us to follow to eat food on Eid and other times. If there's a, a walima, we, it's wajib to go. If there's someone getting married, aqika, someone has a child, we celebrate. But death is a reality for us. We don't live in that world where we're, we're scared of death. Or death is a part of life, the next life for us. And the, the real righteous people, why do they want to die? To meet Allah. To meet Allah. Because that's the purpose of life, to get close to Allah. And that's just another form of life. The grave and the, and the hushr, the day of judgment and the hereafter. So they were connected to Allah at all moments and all times. They didn't have that break in that connection because they ate like a well, they drank a caramel chai latte. They don't want to die anymore. Oh, it's too nice. I want to stay in this world and drink more. They weren't like that, right? Their, their love, their love, 
the 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 enjoyment they got was from being close to Allah. So to them, it didn't matter whether it was in this realm, in the realm of the grave, or the realm of the day of judgment, or the realm of the hereafter. To them, it was siwat. It was the same. It didn't. It didn't. They didn't differentiate between that. Okay. So any questions about any of that? And for people on Facebook, if there's any questions. Do you have more questions or more answers? Just say it. Don't be shy. Because people, they're interested in these things. And so if, if you don't benefit, inshallah, other, others will benefit. Anyone else had any questions about the whole politics caper and all that stuff? Like me personally, I, I, don't, I don't think that mosques are a good place to conduct politics from. Yeah? I, I personally don't think it's a good place. I think masajid should be social social structures. Yeah, they should service the people. You know, like people are poor, people need whatever, people need advice, people need whatever they need, you know, in terms of the support, social welfare, all, all those types of things. Legal advice in Australia, you know, they need psychological help from psychologists and psychiatrists. That's my view, personally. That's my view. Particularly in the Western world. Particularly because they have this so-called separation of church and state, which is not true. Who's the head of the, of the Church of England? Her name's Elizabeth, yeah, Queen Elizabeth. She, yeah, she's the head. And who's the head of the of the country, of Australia? Who's the... She's. So there's no real separate... In the English system, since I think it was Henry or John or whoever, he wanted to get divorced, king, and he just broke away from the Roman Catholic Church. It's not. He's been and she, the monarch, the, the, the monarch at the time. So in reality, now it's a bit watered down, but still, still, it's not, it's not so cut and like... So that, that's one of the criticisms you hear about Islam. There's no separation. Of course there is. Of course there is a separation of, of church and state in Islam. In other words, of the religious aspects of things. That's where the muftis come in. The muftis are not tied to the state. Ask Abu Hanifa. Ask Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal. Although they were going to get locked up and beaten because they wouldn't acquiesce to what the, what the Khalifa wanted. The Khalifa is the administrative arm. These guys are the judicial arm. Not in terms of qada, but we should say the jurisprudential arm. In other words, they're the ones who came out with their the rulings about what the Islamic law is. Of course, there's a of course there's a separation. It's not, and and even when we say that Islamic law is um, and and what the government does is derived from Islamic law, yes. So same in the Western world we live in. Where the where do the um the morals and ethics of of the of the English speaking Western world come from? Christianity. There's no doubt about that. Stealing and all these other. Now they're starting to be watered down as well. But that's where the essence of them comes from. So all that hoo-ha you hear about Islam and the separation and all that, it's, it's the same everywhere. It's the same. What, what's, what's Israel called? The Zionist, but it's really the Jewish state. Jewish state. What? So everyone's doing it, but the criticisms on Muslims, uh, you better wake up to that because that's what it is. That's exactly what it is. Everyone's doing it, but the Muslims get criticized for it. So my view, there should be that distinction. And not only for that reason, but for the reason of the followers, like you said. There's already a shubha. A shubha means a... Uh, a shubha is a... Likeness? No, the shubha is a doubt. Well, likeness is what it is, yeah? That's what a shubha is. It's a shabha. Something looks like something else. So when religion looks like politics, or politics looks like religion, it's confusing. Gray area. It becomes grey. Right? It becomes doubtful. Be careful of things that are doubtful. So I agree with you. I agree with you. If you want to, if you want to be in politics and run politics, my view is, 
than being a religious figure. Doesn't mean you can't be religiously uh, motivated. It doesn't mean you can't be religiously educated. But as a figurehead, Sha'ir. That's my personal view. Others have different views and they're entitled to them. But that's my personal view. And my personal view is you want to be religious, stay away from the money side of things as well. Don't handle money. Because as soon as you start handling money, if you're a figurehead or a symbol of, of the deen, then all, all of a sudden there's a question mark on you because people love money. Those are two things we love. Al-Jah, position, power, and money. Once you get involved in those two things, exactly, you're, you're out there to challenge people. You're out there to challenge people. You're out there to, what? Maybe he's going to become the so-and-so when I want to become the so-and-so. Or maybe he's going to buy this when I was going to buy that. That's the reality. That's the nafus. That's what jubala alayha. Hubbu shahawat. That's what Allah SWT talks about in the Quran. Hubbu shahawat. The love of desires. Not the desires. The love of desires. Love our desires. They make us you know, feel however they make us feel. So if you're going to be a person who's outwardly a figure of, of faith, and be careful about entering into those things because it's going to place a question mark upon yourself. Now, even today, you know, Ta'adad the, al-Zawjat, the Mashiach that marry one and two and three and four and whatever, four, you know, even that, 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 that brings them into, into question from some people, right? Even though in Australia, you can have four de facto wives. You just can't have four legal wives. That's the law, right? So if you can only marry someone legally once, and now that means someone, someone can marry someone, but to de facto, you can have, actually in Australian law, you can have as many de facto's as you want. There's no limit on the de facto's you can have. So even that brings a doubt. So people need to be, people who want to go into the realm of, of, uh, of faith and religion need to be careful. The first thing is to make their intention, that's why we're doing the book of intention, is to make their intention to themselves clear, what they want to do and what they're willing to sacrifice. The Sahabi came to the Prophet and said, He said, Ya Rasulullah, I love you. He said, Are you sure about what you're saying? He said, Yeah, I am. He said, Prepare for poverty. Because that's the way the Prophet of Allah, he wasn't a king. Right? He wasn't a king, Could have been if you wanted to. They said, we'll make you king. In Mecca, so just be our king. He doesn't want to do that. He's a prophet. Right? So, we, you know, we need to, and the tadabbur, husna tadabbur, we need to plan for these things. It's not knee-jerk reactions. If we do knee-jerk reactions, we're going to go nowhere. And that's kind of what we've been doing for a long, long time. You know, not just Australia. I mean, Muslims for a long, long time. We've just been knee-jerking against, the, you know, the, pow- the powerful forces philosophically, financially, technologically, um, militarily. You know, we've been just fighting against those because we've been left behind for 250 odd years now. Whereas before that, we were the we were the cutting edge of all these things. But we just sat back on our haunches and said, Ah, don't worry about it. We're right. We're Muslims. Alhamdulillah. Just uh, for the books, uh, inshallah, once we finish the next next week with the last intention for this first section, what will be the best way for us to actually uh, start putting it into keeping in practice? So that's a good question. The, the intention of going to the Majid the last week, the next one, the ninth one is the, the eighth one, sorry, is the last one. But when you're going to the Majid, recalling those things. So my, my advice always is to read ahead, because every week we try and do one intention, but the seventh one was really long. So read ahead, so when you come to the class, you know what's going to happen, and then uh, you read what happened last week as well, so when you do the murajah, when you do the revision at the beginning of the class, you've, you've heard it once, you've heard it twice, you've heard it three times, and most of the time we refer to it, and then when you're going to the majid for Jummah, when you're going for Isha, when you're going for Fajr, wherever it might be, or the gatherings of Dhikr, 
or the gatherings of um, uh, of ilm, of knowledge, the, the gathering, then you bring those intentions to mind. And even if you get, when you get into the masjid, sit down, think about it, because the world is becoming more and more fast-paced. Like, Jummah was, between Jummah and Jummah, it just doesn't even feel like a week anymore. Like, what? It was just, wasn't it just Jummah the other day? It just goes so quickly. So, that being the case, we tend to lose our intentions because we're so busy just trying to keep up, you know? What are they called? It's called the rat race. Are you guys familiar with that term? No, no. Rat race, that's what they used to call it when we were young, you know? The rat race, the rat going around the wheel, just running, running, running and getting nowhere. That was what they used to call it. Now they call it something else. What do they call it now? So they still say rat race, right? So because that, that's the case, we feel like we're getting nowhere. And all the blessed subhanahu wa ta'ala makes our mind go quickly as well. It makes our mind just tick over. And then when, when that happens, it's hard for us to istihdar al niyat. It's hard for us to envisage our niyat, our intentions. So we need to take that breath. Now we need to breathe every once in a while. Get away. That's why tahajjud is important, more important now than it's ever been. That's why Habib Kathim, when he came, was constantly talking about waking up just that little bit before Fajr, because everything's away there. And that, you know, when you wake up at that time before Fajr, the first thing that comes into your head, that's the most important thing, the thing that you're worried about the most. So it, it gives you clarity at that time. You get clarity. So when you wake up, think, what am I thinking about? That's the thing I'm concerned about. Make du'a for Allah Azawajal to bring about whatever it is that you, why, in other words, the reason if you want to get married, if you want to get a car, if you want to finish uni, if you want to get a job, whatever it is, and that's what's on your mind, that comes to your mind, make du'a for that thing, mate. Because Allah, at that time, you know, the rest of the time, you know, the rest of the time, we're saying, Ya Allah, Ya Allah, give us this, Ya Allah. At the time of, of Tahajjud, he's saying, what do you want? It's the opposite. Instead of you going to your boss and saying, boss, I need a raise, these are my, this is what I've been doing, these are my KPIs, I've been meeting them all, these are the extra things that I've done over above that, these are the projects that I've come to, and the boss is like, yeah, leave it with me. Isn't that what they say? Has, ever said, has the boss ever said, oh, yeah, wow, raise. They never say that. They say, leave it with me. Right? When we're praying to Allah at other times, where the angels are taking it up, Right, and it's getting in the queue, whatever. There's no queue, but as example, you know, it's waiting its turn to be processed, your dua. But at the time of, of, of sihar or the time of tahajjud, it's the opposite. Allah comes to the sky. He's like, hey, what do you want? doesn't say that, but you know. Like, what do you want? Who, who wants clothes? Who wants sustenance? Who wants to, be, to have shifa? Who wants, so it's, as soon as you open your hands to say something, it's already accepted. It's already gone. That's it. It's been processed already. It's gone. So that's the difference between the two. It's up to us whether we want to be headhunted and chased by our boss or we want to chase the boss. So, ma'am, any questions? Any further questions? Any, anyone on the internet asking anything? Just so what the Tanakh if you pray the Buddha already at night, it's okay to pray the Sunnah prayer. There's a good question. So, questions about Witr. Witr is just once in the night. So, whenever you pray Witr, don't pray it again and you can pray as much as you want, but not witr again. Yeah, Just one witr, so one odd prayer, and then if you want to pray later, you can pray straight after it if you like. It's no problem. You can do twos, and, yeah. twos, 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 fours. Up, Four. Yeah, if you want. Tamam? All right. Any other questions?
Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Muhammad alayhi wa sallam, Alhamdulillah, Allahumma salatu wa salam ala qaylanan, Ar-Rahman ar-Rahman, Nisallahu alayhi wa sallam, 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 Nisallahhu alayhi wa sallam, Nisallahu alayhi wa sallam, Nisallahu alayhi wa sallam, Nisallahu alayhi wa sallam, Nisallahhu alayhi wa sallam, Nisallahu alayhi wa sallam, Nisallahhu 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 alayhi